We are in Genesis chapter 38, and we are reading about Judah, um, and, and uh, we read about Judah and part of his life last time, and this is during a 22-year period, right after uh, uh, Joseph has been sold into slavery in Egypt. There's 22 years before we pick up the life of Joseph again, and this is happening during that 22-year period. Joseph is sold into Egypt at the age of 17. At the age of 30, he's promoted to second in the kingdom of Egypt. So for 13 years, he suffered as a slave and as a prisoner, which we'll discuss in the next chapter. But then he, he, there were seven years of plenty. That brought him up to the age of 37. And then there were two years of famine that hit. That brought him up to the age of 39. So there was that 20 years of uh, period, 13 uh, when he was a prisoner and, and a slave, seven years of plenty, that's 20, and then two years of famine, 22-year period, that's when this is happening. And what we covered last time is that, is that uh, uh, Judah was on his way to, to uh, um, and it may have been either going there or coming back, that we're not sure about, but during the sheep shearing, which is a festive time and a lot of drinking, a lot of alcohol, and his daughter-in-law is deceiving him. So let's pick it up in verse in verse 12 of Genesis chapter 38. Now, after a considerable time, Shua's daughter, the wife of Judah, died. And when the time of mourning was ended, Judah went up to the sheep shearers at Timnah, he and his friend Hira the Adulamite. And it was told to Tamar, Behold, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear the sheep. So she removed her widow's garments and covered herself and with a veil, and wrapped herself, and sat in the gateway of Enam, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that Shelah had grown up, and she had not been given him as a wife. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a harlot, for she had covered her face. So he turned aside to her by the road and said, Here now, let me come in to you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. And she said, What will you give me that you may come into me? And he said, Therefore, I will send you a young goat from the flock. She said, Moreover, will you give me a pledge until you send it? And he said, What pledge shall I give you? And she said, Your seal, your cord, your staff that is in your hand. So he gave them to her and went into her, and she conceived Then she arose and departed and removed her veil and put on her widow's garment. Okay, so remember what happened was Judah had had deceived his father with with Joseph's garments and now he is being deceived by the veil. And the veil was something that a, a woman who was getting married would wear and also a prostitute would wear. And so she put on this veil and it's she's learns that her father is going to shear her father-in-law is going to shear sheep she realizes that her father-in-law has sort of ripped her off because she has to be able to have children because the first son died the second son died and then he he even though uh, Sheila had now grown of age he was not given to Sheila and and uh, the third son and so uh, Tamar is going to now deceive her father-in-law so she dresses as a prostitute and it's really interesting. She knew what Judah was like. You know, um, 
not many daughter-in-laws would think that they could would even think that they could deceive their father-in-law by dressing as a prostitute because they know that their father-in-law is not the type of person to frequent seeing prostitutes. So she must have known his predisposition toward this sort of thing, or she, it, or such a ruse never would have worked, never even would have been conceived. I mean, most daughter-in-laws don't even conceive that they could do this with their father-in-law. But she knew what his disposition was like. Remember what it says in chapter 38, verse 2. Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua, and he took her and he went into her. I mean, he saw her, he took her, he went into her. It doesn't even mention her name. Her name isn't even relevant. It just mentions her father's name and that she was a Canaanite. He saw her, he took her, he went into her. This is a compulsive man. It's the same Judah who said, uh, let's not kill our brother because there's no profit for us. Verse 26 of chapter 37. Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it to us to kill our brother and to cover up his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. So he, he was just looking for a profit. I mean, this is a very hardened guy, really hardened. And so his, his daughter-in-law takes advantage of his hardened position. And she, she does this, she deceives him. In verse 15, when Judah saw her, he thought she was a harlot, for she had covered her face. So what? I mean, how many men, just because they see a woman that they think is a prostitute, well, let's proposition her because she's a prostitute. It, again, speaks of the character of Judah. And, and, uh, and just like she had foreseen, he saw her in this, thought she was a prop- prostitute, and he propositioned her. In verse 16 of chapter 38, So he turned aside to her by the road, and he said, Here now, let me come into you. So he says, Here now, or come here, let me come into you. I mean, just compulsive man. I mean, just boom, let me come into you. Just direct, just like he had done with his wife. He saw, he took, and, and, and he, he went into her. And he says, and, 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 uh, um, for he did not know she was his daughter-in-law. So again, her face is covered. What she was as a human being meant absolutely nothing to him. Hardened, hardened life. And she said, what will you give me that you may come into me? So she says, okay, you can come into me, but what are you going to give me now? When a woman says to a man, I'm available to you. You can come in to me. I'm available to you. I mean, I mean, his engine is started. He is going. This is not just a, you know, he, he is just revved up now. When a woman speaks one word like this, that you may come into me, boom, he is just revved up. And when a man hits in this position, there's no stopping him. And you see that here. He is just revved right up. She knew exactly what to say. What are you going to give me that you may come into me? I mean, she says it right there. He's revved up and she says, what do you... And he said, I will send you a young goat from the flock. You know, because he's a shepherd. He has a lot of flocks. He says, I'll send you a young goat. She said, moreover, will you give me a pledge until you send it? So you're going to need to pay something. You're going to have to give me a pledge. You're going to have to give me something, some security till you send 
that young goat from the flock. And he said, what pledge shall I give you? So he's turned it back on her. He says, you name the pledge. I mean, when he is revved up, all she has to say, she is now dictating the terms. This is why it's really good not even to get in the position with a young lady where you're going to get revved up and in a position where you can end up in bed with her. This is why I encourage young people in colleges, it is good not to be alone in a room with a young woman when there could be a compromising position that happens. I mean, these sort of things happen. Your, your feet touch underneath the desk together, and all of a sudden you're playing with each other's feet, and, and then, and then uh, uh, things happen. This is why I say it is good you know, if, if, if these sorts of things can happen, go meet at Starbucks or meet in an environment where these things are not prone to happen because he's revved up and she's taking every bit of advantage of it. He knows she's revved up and she's got him now. She's got him. So she's the one dictating. He says, okay, what's the pledge? She says, your seal and your cord in verse 18 and your staff that is in your hand. Your seal, a seal that was used for every letter that he sent, everything that he marked, every contract was stamped with his seal. This is like his driver's license. She says, give me your driver's license. The cord, the cord that holds the seal around his neck is usually a very fancy cord held the seal around his neck. I want the cord too. I want your wallet. I want your driver's license. I want your wallet. And she said, give me your staff. His staff was, he was a shepherd. His staff was what he used in his business. So give me your wallet, give me your, give me your driver's license, give me your wallet, and give me your cell phone. And then he says, okay. I mean, why is he agreeing to this? Because he's revved up. Because she has said, you may come into me. Once that happens, it is so hard to turn back. So hard for a man to turn back. That's why I say, don't let yourself get in such a position. Don't even let yourself get in such a position. And, and, uh, and, and so she's dictating the terms now. He agrees to it. So he gave them to her. He took payment of them first. This is typical prostitute thing. They don't wait for payment afterward. It's payment beforehand. Always payment beforehand. Because once a man is done, he's not going to pay. So she gets hold of this stuff. He gave them to her and went into her and she conceived. And so, so it's just like that. It's just so matter of fact. Sexual realm is so matter of fact for him. And this is where society comes to. This is where a Tinder society comes to. This is what happens when you, when you, when you have all of these things that happen. And, uh, and, and so this just took off. Now, and, and, and uh, in verse, verse 20, when Judah sent the young goat by his friend, the Adulamite, to receive the pledge from the woman's hand, he did not find her. He asked the men of her place, saying, Where is the temple prostitute who was by the road at Enaim? Verse 21. But they said, There has been no temple prostitute here. So he returned to Judah and said, I did not find her. And furthermore, the men of the place said, There is no temple prostitute here. Then Judah said, Let her her keep them, otherwise we will become a laughing stock. After all, I sent this young goat, but you did not find her. So here's the Adulamite 
Hira the Adulamite, who's mentioned in verse 12 of the same chapter, also mentioned in verse 1 of the same chapter, the Adulamite named Hira. This is his beer-drinking buddy. This is not a very good accountability partner. Hira was with him. Remember, he went with Hira to the sheep shearing. Hira's with him. You know, he stops for a prostitute, and Hira's, you know, just waiting for him. Then he sends Hira with the goat later on to give and get his 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 uh, his seal, his cord, and his his uh, uh, staff back. And Hira goes looking for her, and he goes. She was sitting obviously in front of a temple. Now, if you go to Israel today, you can see Canaanite temples that that are all over the place. You can see them in in, in little areas where they'll they'll mark this was a Canaanite temple. It is. Uh, you know, I'm sitting in my dining room. It's like half the size of my dining room. It's just a little thing on which they had offering and a little thing around. It, they're tiny little things. And they're outdoors. They don't have to be covered. And it was a, a Canaanite worship temple where they would sacrifice things. These are little things. And she was sitting right there because there were prostitutes that were very often associated with the ritual rites of, of, uh, of, of idol worship. But they said, this little town doesn't have a, its own prostitute for this. But she had appeared as if she were just on that particular day, at that particular time, to head him off. And it's interesting that, that uh, so now he sends Hira with the goat, the, the, this kid, and he looks for her and he's asking, where is she? Where is she? So he asked the guys of the place. They said, we don't have a temple prostitute here. In verse 23, then Judah said, so he goes back to Judah. Judah says, well, Better just keep them, otherwise we will become a laughing stock. After all, I sent the young goat, but you did not find her. So he got ripped off. He got ripped off. Here's this guy who says, we can't just kill our brother and let it go to waste. We've got to make some money off of him. They sold him for 20 shekels of silver. There were 10 brothers, so he probably got two of the 20 for 20 shekels of silver. When a person is a cheat, when a person gets things in a corrupt manner... People will cheat him. If you deal as a cheat, people will cheat you. This is what happens in life. And, and uh, uh, he dealt as a cheat. Now he's, he's cheated by a prostitute. Uh, the whole thing comes right back on him. And then he says, we will become a laughing stock. So in other words, the guys of the town are laughing. Look, this guy's looking for a prostitute to make payment. And they're laughing about him. She's got his seal, so at any moment she could reveal him. And uh, he's wondering, wow, this is a real mess. And this is what happens. You, you, you start playing around in the sexual realm. It will catch up to you. It will really catch up to you. You know, there's a, there's a verse in Proverbs, chapter 6, verse 26. Proverbs 6, verse 26. You know, Proverbs 5, 6, and 7 really deal with, with men and women in these sexual relationships, illicit sexual relationships. But in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 26, it says, For an account, for, on account of a harlot, one is reduced to a loaf of bread. On account of a harlot, one is reduced to a loaf of bread. So you, here you have this guy from this very wealthy family whose father is a very prominent man. And he has now been reduced to a loaf of bread because of a prostitute. If you walk with God, if you are called of God, and you walk in a sexually illicit realm, it will be found out. You cannot keep it secret. God will make it shouted from the rooftop. 
Look, this thing is written about in the Word of God. I mean, everybody forever is reading about the life of Judah. And, uh, and he says, we will become a laughing stock. And so he cares more about people laughing at him than he does, than he cares about sinning against God. That's how far he had gone. Verse 24. Now it was about three months later that Judah was informed, your daughter-in-law Tamar has played the harlot. And behold, she is with child by harlotry. Then Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. It was while she was being brought out that she sent to her father-in-law saying, I'm with child by the man to whom these things belong. And she said, please examine and see whose signet ring and cord and staff are these. Judah recognized them and said, She is more righteous than I, inasmuch as I did not give her to my son, Shelah. And he did not have relations with her again. It came about at that time she was giving birth, that behold, there were twins in her womb. Moreover, it took place while she was giving birth, one put out a hand, and the midwife tied a scarlet thread on his hand, saying, This one came out first. But it came about he drew back his hand, and behold, the, his brother came out. Then she said, What a breach you have made for yourself. So he was named Perez. Afterward, his brother came out, who had the scarlet thread on his hand, and he was named Zerah. So three months later, this woman, I guess she starts to show, and you know, other women notice these things about women. I mean, sometimes... Women get pregnant and they're like eight months pregnant and I don't even notice. I don't even notice. And, and, and Shireen will, will, you know, notice it like when, when they're like just like one month pregnant because she can see it in their eyes. Uh, uh, she has this ability. I don't even see this thing. Plus, you're never supposed to ask a woman if she's pregnant because you could get in big trouble. Um, so, you, you know, I just, I just don't pay attention to it. But other women notice these sorts of things and they turn her in. That she must have been playing the prostitute, playing the harlot because she was supposed to wait for Sheila. Sheila actually had not been given to her. And then as she's, and Judah judges her and he brings her out and he says, bring her out that, and let her be burned. Now, whether it was burned to death, which could have been, the Canaanites were very hard on one another, or whether it was just to be scarred, we don't know. But there's this verse in Romans chapter 2, verse 1. Romans chapter 2, verse 1 says, Therefore, you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment. For in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. So he says, look, if you're going to judge another, make sure you're not practicing the same thing. You know, and, and remember the passage we looked out at a couple times ago where, where Jesus said, uh, uh, don't try to take the speck out of your brother's eye when you have a log in your own eye. First take the log out of your own eye, then remove the speck from your brother's eye. So Jesus is not saying that there is not a time for judgment. There is a time for judgment. Jesus is even saying that. He says, take the log out of your own eye, see clearly, then you can help your brother with the speck in his, in his eye. Jesus even reproved people for not judging rightly. He says, you have not judged me rightly. He called people to judge him. He says, judge by the works that, that you see in me. Judge by the word of God. You haven't judged the word of God rightly. 
You haven't judged my works rightly. So he calls us. There is a time of judgment. It's just that we should not be casting judgment upon those that do the very same thing. He says, look to yourself, check yourself, because I'll tell you from my own experience, it is very easy for me to see problems in other people's lives when I have that, own, that same problem in my own life. It's very easy for me to see that. That's why we have to be particularly careful. If we, we're, we want to point something out to somebody, check myself, check myself. Well, anyway, you see his heart. He says, this is a great excuse to have me have her killed because here she is pregnant. And so she sends, so she's being brought out either for trial or to be directly burned. And, and uh, um, she sends this cord with, with the, uh, with the uh, attached seal with the staff to him by the hand of another and she says, check this out. Very much like what he did with his brother, by the hand of their servants, they sent their brother's very colored tunic to their father. I mean, what goes around comes around. And, and uh, um, uh, the, whatever man sows, that he shall also reap, the scriptures say. So Judah recognized them, and he said, she is more righteous than I. He's not saying that what she did was righteous. He's saying just compared to me, She's more righteous than I, inasmuch as I did not give her to my son, Shelah. So in other words, he is here confessing that Shelah was of age now for him to be have given to raise up children. So he has now carried out the Levirate, uh, 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 um, um, the, 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 the task of raising up an offspring. Because both in, in uh, the Code of Hammurabi, both the Hittite and also the Hittite and the Assyrian code, this Leverite uh, um, obligation could be done by the father-in-law. So, so if if the married to the son, the son dies. Say there's not another son. The father-in-law is the one who's obliged to do it. Now he had committed incest because she was already committed to Sheila. She had committed adultery because she was already committed to to Sheila. He had no more relations with her. He didn't have to because he had already now impregnated her and she was going to be having children who were on behalf of her, of his oldest son, Ur, who was killed. These are the children on behalf of his oldest son, Ur. So it says that she was pregnant with twins. One twin stuck out his hand at birth. A scarlet cord was put there to mark this is going to be the oldest. He pulled back his hand and then boom, Perez came out. Perez turns out, and so he's named Breach Perez. And, and uh, afterward, the brother. This is actually looked upon in, in, in the Hebrew Scriptures, in the Hebrew Scriptures as being a blessing. So if you look in Ruth, Ruth chapter 4, verse 12. Ruth chapter 4, verse 12, the other ladies say to Ruth this comment. So this has now been entrenched in their tradition as a blessing. In Ruth chapter 4, verse 12, it says, Moreover, may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, through the offspring which the Lord will give you by this young woman. So she, she, she's speaking there about, about Ruth. And so you see, it becomes even entrenched. This becomes, they recognize, okay, God has blessed. God has given 
the descendancy. The descendancy was Judah to Ur, his oldest son. Ur was killed before the Lord, but now Perez was the oldest son in this line. And so that is then noted. And then the next son, the next son is, is actually Zerah. Zerah, and uh, so if you look in, in Joshua, Joshua chapter 7, verse, verse 1, Zerah is the great-great-grandfather of Achan, who committed that, that uh, sin where he had stolen something from Jericho, which got the Israelites in big trouble. So if you look in Joshua chapter 7, verse 1, it says, But the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully in regard to the things under the ban. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, from the tribe of Judah, took some of the things under the ban. Therefore the anger of the Lord burned against the sons of Israel." So Zerah was the great-great-grandfather of, the, of, uh, of uh, uh, Achan, who had brought all that, that sin upon the land. And so you, so you see that. This is again referenced, it references this thing in Numbers chapter 26, in Numbers chapter 26, verse 19. There's another reference to tell us of these, these children. Numbers tra- chapter 26, verse 19 and 20 say this, The sons of Judah were Ur and Onan, but Ur and Onan died in the land of Canaan. And that's what we read about. Verse 20, the sons of Judah, according to their families, were of Shelah, the family of the Shelanites, of Perez, the family of of the Perezites, and Zerah, the family of the Zerites. So, Ur and Onan died in the land of Canaan. They never went into Egypt with Joseph and his family when they went in. It's shortly after this event, shortly after this birth, like within months after this birth, that they end up going into Egypt. This is now 20, this is now 22 years after Joseph went into Egypt. Now these people are about to go into Egypt. And you see Ur and Onan died in Canaan. They never went into Egypt, but Shelah went with his family now and Perez uh, went and Zerah, uh, went. So all of these people went into Egypt. And so you see the hand of what happened here. This is truly amazing. Now, what I'd want to mention is this, is if you look in Matthew, Matthew chapter one, extraordinary, Matthew chapter one, Matthew chapter one is the genealogy of Jesus through the line of Joseph. In, in Luke chapter 3 is the genealogy of Jesus through the line of Mary. This is Joseph's line. And Joseph, in the line of Jesus, are mentioned four women. It is unusual for women to be mentioned in a genealogy of Israel. It's not unheard of. Uh, there, there, there's, there's one in Nehemiah chapter 7 verse 63. There's another in, in, in uh, uh, Ezra chapter 2 verse 61 where women are mentioned in genealogies. So that's Nehemiah 7:63 and Ezra, uh, uh, um, Ezra, I think it's, it's 2 or 12:61 maybe, 12:61. So, so women are occasionally mentioned, but not often. There's four women mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus through Joseph. The four women are Tamar in verse 3, and it says in verse 3, Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, mentions both of the children, very unusual, by Tamar. 
And then if you, you go down to verse 5 in Matthew chapter 1, it mentions Rahab. Who was Rahab? Rahab was a harlot. Mentions over and over again, Rahab had been a harlot, a prostitute in Jericho. It mentions Ruth in verse 5 also. Who was Ruth? Ruth was, was a Moabitess. Ruth was a Moabitess, meaning that she was a descendant of Moab. Moab was the illegitimate son of, of uh, a lot uh, um, because he had committed incest with his oldest daughter and had Moab. So she's a descendant of Moab. She's a descendant of an, an act of incest. And then the fourth woman that's mentioned in the genealogy is in verse 6 of Matthew chapter 1. That's Bathsheba. Bathsheba was raped by David. Some people think that she just slept with David. I don't think so. David really forced himself upon her. He selected her. And uh, uh, he was the one that came onto her. But every one of these four women is a Gentile. Tamar, Tamar is a Canaanite. Rahab is, is from the land of Canaan. She was from, from uh, 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 Jericho. Uh, Ruth was a Moabite. Uh, Bathsheba was a Hittite. Four women are mentioned. Why didn't they mention Sarah? She was a very prominent woman. Not mentioned. Four women are mentioned, all of them Gentiles. In the line that's mentioned in this historic line of Jesus, four women are mentioned. All of them Gentiles. Every one of them had some sort of sexual event either in their life or in their close heritage. Every one of them. Jesus, God, is merciful with sinners, but particularly merciful with the sexual sinner. The thing that the world tries to condemn us the most in, the thing that the devil tries to condemn us the most in, and particularly tries to condemn women the most in, God is the most merciful in this. He chooses four women, all of them Gentiles, all of them not of the land of Israel, all of them having some sexual... Tamar committed incest with her father-in-law by deception. All of them in the line of Jesus. Now, as you track this thing down, you get in verse 12 of Matthew chapter 1 to Jeconiah, who is sometimes in the scriptures called Coniah or sometimes called Jehoiakim. It is at that point that the line bifurcates. All the descendants now of Jeconiah end up at at, uh, uh, Jesus' father, Joseph. Joseph could not have been a king in Israel because that line was now cursed. That line of Jeconiah was now cursed. in, In the gospel according to Luke, it goes back up. It doesn't come through David's son Solomon. It comes through another one of Bathsheba's children, Nathan. Not Nathan the prophet, but Nathan the son of David. And that's the line that goes through to go to uh, um, Mary, the mother of Jesus. Jesus has no relation to Joseph physically, and uh, nor is he an adopted child of Joseph, because none of Joseph's children could ever sit on the throne because of the curse of Jeconiah. We can cover that in more detail another time if you want. The purpose of today is to stress what happened with Tamar. There's four women mentioned. Jesus is very merciful to the sexual sinner. Always has been. Remember the woman who was caught in adultery. He said to her, I don't condemn you. I don't condemn you. Jesus didn't condemn her. In John chapter chapter 4, verse 16, he's having a discussion with a Samaritan woman. He says, go call your husband. She says in verse of John chapter 4, verse 16. He says, go call your husband and come here. 
The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you've said correctly, I have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you've said truly. So he says to the woman, go call your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. He says, you know, you've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. So he said to her, you have said correctly, I have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one whom you're now with is not your husband. This you have said truly. This you've said correctly. This you've said truly. He could well have turned to her and said, look, you tramp. You've had five husbands, and you're living with a guy. But he didn't. He took her lie, I have no husband, and he turned it into a truth. He says, you know, you're speaking truthfully. You've had five husbands. The guy you're with is not your husband. So, yeah, you're speaking rightly. You see how merciful Jesus is. He takes a woman who is trying to deceive him in the se- about her sexual life, and he takes it and he turns it into a truth. Jesus is so merciful, so merciful, particularly to the woman who has had some sort of stri- sexual struggle in her life. So kind, so merciful. The thing that the world will condemn us in, Jesus comes and he loves us in. He mentions four women, all of them Gentiles, all of them not of the descendants of Israel, Jesus is so merciful. This is, a, this is a Samaritan woman. So merciful. This is what her God is like. So no matter what is your background, no matter where you're from, no matter what line you're from, all of us have sexual disorders in our lives. All of us have come from series of sexual disorders that have happened in our lines. Whether it be incest or rape or whatever. And God comes in and He moves into our lives. He says, I have chosen you. I love you. I've selected you. If you don't know the Lord, I invite you to know this very blessed Jesus who is so kind and so gracious in every respect. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your word, for your word is true and right. And you are good and holy and kind to us in every respect. Lord, I thank you that Jesus reaches out to the woman who is caught in sin and he says, I don't condemn you. To the woman who's who's lying about her husbands and he says, you know, you've spoken truthfully. You've spoken correctly. So kind you are, Lord Jesus. You are the most magnanimous of captains. So kind and so good in every respect. Thank you, Lord God, for the way you intercede on lives. How you turn that which is evil And you even turn it around so that something wonderful comes from it. Lord, thank you for your mercies. Thank you for your goodness. Father, if there be unbelievers on this Zoom call, Lord, I pray thee that they would cry out this day, Lord Jesus, come into my life, that they would accept so great a Savior in Jesus. And Father, for those here who have come from pasts, of sexual disorders or sexual sins, that they would learn that indeed they are forgiven, richly forgiven. They are not condemned, but they are forgiven. And it's covered in the blood of Jesus. Lord, thank you for your kindness and for your graciousness. In Jesus' name, amen.